Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 23. It's a very familiar psalm to many of you, I know. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. And uh, you also take your notes out of the worship folder as well. Uh, we're going to be reading Psalm 23 together in unison in just a bit. Um, in this psalm, David is thanking God uh, for being his shepherd and directing his life. You know, this is maybe the most memorized uh, passage in the whole Bible. I thought it might be maybe one of the most underlined um, you know, there are, are companies that can track electronically the most underlined verses, at least when we do it on our Kindle or whatever. And uh, interestingly enough, Psalm 23 was not the most highlighted. The most highlighted was Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Um, but it sure relates, doesn't it? Where we take all of our requests before God and leave them with him and, and, uh, and watch him give us a supernatural peace. But even with people knowing the Bible uh, so well, uh, this is a, a, a passage that people love to have me read uh, when I visit them in the hospital or when I uh, ask them maybe to, if they would like me to read a passage that's familiar to them. Even people who know the Bible really well, and I know know many other passages, will ask this one for this one to be read. And it is arguably some of the most beautiful and encouraging words ever written. Period. Uh, George W. Bush, if you remember, read Psalm, 20, uh, Psalm 23 to us as a nation when we were trying to sort through 9-11 and um, after that happened. For three, get this, 3,000 years, uh, that's how long ago it was written. Approximately this psalm has brought comfort to millions of God's people. I'm guessing to you, thankfully and, and rightfully. It's a psalm that a child can grasp, it's so simple, but it's the kind of psalm that a theologian could drown in, it's so deep. Even if people uh, aren't Christians and don't know a lot about the Bible, they often still know this psalm, Psalm 23. However, because of the familiarity of this psalm, I think the, the problem is we're in danger of missing some of the meaning. And some of that is because we don't understand what it was like to be a shepherd during Bible times. We can imagine a shepherd today on his cell phone and you know, texting his friends. That didn't happen in the first century. Um, David and, and the, the, says there are other Psalms that say that all of God's people are the sheep of his pasture. But here David says the Lord is his shepherd. This matters because in the ancient world, a king was called the shepherd of his people. And Israel certainly thought that David was their shepherd. That's how they thought of David. David was their shepherd. In fact, in 2 Samuel 5, the people said to David when he became king, uh, says, the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel and you shall be prince over Israel. And in hearing this psalm, the people understood that by watching over David, God was watching over Israel. And if David thrived, the nation would prosper. In Psalm 23, King David describes his intensely 
intimate relationship with God. It's a personal relationship and one in which he clearly placed all of his trust in God for protection and for guidance. So I'd like us to read it together in unison, uh, out loud. So follow along, it's on your outline, we'll read that version of it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This is God's word for us this morning. Well, we see the fulfillment of this, of course, in the New Testament clearly in Jesus. Uh, it was the Lord Jesus who said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life, gives his life for the sheep. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 13 uh, calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep. And Jesus is the only sheep who is also a shepherd. Remember, he was the lamb of God who took on flesh to save us and then be king to rule over us. As the lamb of God, Jesus trusted his shepherd, his father, to carry him through the suffering of the cross and to bring him to the right hand uh, of, of the father where he was to begin with. And so Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of Psalm 23. In fact, Revelation 7 says, the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. The only lamb that was a shepherd. So how do you know if Jesus is your shepherd? Well, the Bible gives us two tests. In fact, in, in John 10, uh, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. So are you paying attention to God? Are you listening to him? Not just now, but are you listening to his word through the week on your own? And then in that same verse in John 10, Jesus says, my sheep follow me. Are you? Are you following him? Are you being obedient to him, to, to his word? And the only way to be, to be obedient is to read his word, to know his word. Christ is the great shepherd for us as God's people. And if you do not belong to Jesus, then at least in this biblical sense, in, the, in light of the New Testament, God is not your shepherd. And if you know Jesus and love Jesus, and you want to know him, then Psalm 23 is for you. And they want to believe that God is, is their shepherd. Uh, but do people, do, do people listen to Christ? Do they follow him? 
Jesus is the only way to know and live out what God wants for us. And it, it, I know that Psalm 23 is a favorite of many of us, rightly so. But Psalm 23 is meaningless without Psalm 22 that we looked at last week. And Psalms 22, 23, and 24 are known as the shepherd Psalms. You have this on your outline. In Psalm 22, we see Christ as the good shepherd who laid down his life for us. And in Psalm 23, we see Jesus as the one who truly watches over us. And in Psalm 24, Jesus is the chief shepherd, the king of glory, it says, who is coming for us again. And with those three Psalms, we have this full and awesome picture in the Psalms of who Jesus is. Though in thinking about Jesus being the chief shepherd, the first thing that we do, and this is number one on your outline, is confess the Lord Jesus as my shepherd. We confess him as my shepherd. He belongs to me. The Lord is my shepherd. If ever a psalm could be identified by a single phrase, this would be it. This is this psalm. And in this first phrase, we have these two amazing ideas. First of all, the name of the Lord is the, and this again is on your outline, is the personal name of God. It's God saying, I am who I am. I'm, I'm timeless in and of myself. I am sufficient in and of myself. He needs no wisdom from anyone because he has all wisdom. He has all knowledge. He needs no power outside of himself because he is all powerful. And he needs not, he's not accountable to anyone either because he, is, he answers only to himself. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you think about the Lord is my shepherd, think about just the word is. The Lord is, that's present tense. The Lord always has been, is. And the Lord always will be, is. He is the same, the writer to the Hebrews says, yesterday and today and forever. God is eternal. He's unchangeable. And then on the other hand, we have this word shepherd. And of course, the, the, the first, that first line is immensely important. But the second half of verse 1 is important too. The Lord is, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Shepherds were, were very low on the totem pole in terms of a profession. No one wanted to be a shepherd. Remember, we've said this before, that in a court of law, they didn't even count a shepherd's testimony as valid. They could not testify in a court of law. You know, if a family needed a shepherd, it was the low man on the totem pole that got the job. It was David, for example, the youngest of all of his brothers who got the job of being the shepherd. We can say he leveraged it to the max, but that was his job. Uh, and it never stopped. They needed someone to watch the sheep all day and all night. They needed him to watch them all, all summer in, in the hottest of weather and all winter in the coldest of weather. What people... They, most people would not choose that as a profession. There are only a few times in scripture when the name Jehovah is together with another one to make a new name for God. 
And this is one of those places. And the Hebrew word is Ra, Jehovah, Yahweh Ra, which is the Lord my shepherd. God is my shepherd. The shepherd God, if you will. And yet, and this is again on your outline, the all-powerful I am, the Lord, chose to be our shepherd. He's our shepherd. We are his sheep. But what kind of sheep are you? Are you a rebellious sheep? Are you prone to wander? Do you resist the gentle prodding of the shepherd? Or are you gratefully submitting to his wisdom, to his ways? You know, Philip Keller is a pastor, author, uh, who for eight years was himself a shepherd. And out of that experience, he wrote a book, maybe some of you have read it, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. In fact, show of hands, how many of you have read that book? Uh, I see a few hands going up. So, you know what, it's a, it's a very good book. I would highly recommend it. Um, Keller worked as a shepherd growing up in East Africa. Uh, later on, he became a shepherd by occupation in Canada where he raised sheep for a living before he became a pastor. Almost a biblical, at least in the Old Testament sense, route to take. That's why I was a carpenter um, before I became a pastor. I'm just kidding. I was though, but, um, but he gives this account. And so I'm quoting from this book. I remember in my flock, there was one sheep that was just so beautiful. It was a female who had a perfect constitution and a beautifully formed body, but was always discontent. Keller called this sheep a fence crawler because no matter what pasture he led his sheep into, he, he says this, my pastures were the greenest pastures in the area. I had this one small sized sheep though who would always move to the edge and sort of look out to see what's over there wherever over there was. And I think God might have some sheep like that today. We're always looking for greener pastures. Uh, the grass is greener where you water it. And so you water it for the Lord. And for us, that's the people who are miserable, the people who are dissatisfied, who are always complaining there's a reason Paul said do everything without complaining, without grumbling, without murmuring. Think about this, if that's you, a, a grumpy sheep, I'm thinking of us now, not a real sheep, but us as grumpy sheep, is not glorifying to the Lord, maybe even a disgrace to the shepherd. Because that sheep reflects the kind of care they think they're getting from the shepherd. Imagine what unbelievers might think of hearing us talk about we have a, a, a God as our shepherd who loves us and, and cares for us, but we're always complaining about something. We're not really entrusting it to the shepherd. Maybe it's even going through a very dark valley in our own lives. I know that some of you have done that and you've been a glowing, tremendous witness to God because you're resting in him, you're trusting him. And I don't know what, what people are thinking, but 
you know, maybe it's uh, like a, a non-Christian looking at a Christian. They, may, they might say, you know, I don't want to follow that shepherd. I, I, I sure don't think they take good care of you. Why would I think they would take good care of me? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, contentment doesn't come from what we have or what we don't have. Contentment comes from who we have. It's about a relationship with God. That makes us content. Left to ourselves, we as sheep lack everything. You know, sheep are the most helpless animals. And this is on your outline. If we belong to the one who is self-sufficient and inexhaustible and utterly unchanged by time, we will lack nothing. We need to know that. He is sufficient for us all the time. He will provide for us. What does Paul write in Philippians 4.19? My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Verses two and three begin to answer the question. And so number two on your outline is that God provides for my every need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. We see in verse two, and this is again on your outline, that God gives me rest. This is because he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the quiet waters. And as much as we know about God's rest, it's not easy for us sometimes to practice it. Back to Keller, and this is a quote that's on your outline. He talks about the fact that sheep do not lie down easily. And he writes this, it, it's, it is almost impossible for them, for the sheep, to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Number one, owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Because of their social behavior within a flock, number two, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their kind. Think about that for us. The applications are pretty obvious, I think. If tormented by flies or parasites, number three, sheep will not lie down. Only when they're free of these pests can they relax. And then lastly, number four, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. I don't think it's wrong to spiritualize that and to say that what do we need to eat? The word of God is our food. That's our daily bread. This is a great reminder that, that resting begins this kind of rest begins with resting in Christ. Along the way, there will be things for us to do, but we begin by resting in him, who in regards to our salvation has done everything for us. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. I've talked to people, I've, a, a, a man I became acquainted with that worked in the Jehovah's Witness uh, cult, a deviation from orthodoxy, and he felt like every time he knocked on a door, he was earning his way a little bit more to heaven. That's not the way it works. That's not what the Bible teaches. 
We enter God's rest by first understanding that we are totally unable to enter God's rest on our own. In other words, there's nothing that we can do to earn our way to heaven. To enter God's rest, we have to place our total faith in the sacrifice of Jesus and what he did on the cross. And once we understand the role of grace, and this is on your outline, that's, that it's all about God and not about us, we have entered God's rest. That's our salvation. So are you resting in Christ? Have you surrendered to his lordship in every area of your life? Once you enter the rest of salvation, then we, we, we enter the rest of, of lordship, if you will, by giving him control of every single area of our lives. What are we holding on to that we don't want to give to him? Have you found Jesus to be the perfect provider for all your needs? He is, he will, that's who he is. Jesus said this in Matthew 11 in one paraphrase, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's the rest that we need, not just for our salvation, but every day of our lives as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Before Jesus was crucified, he said to his disciples, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. And that's what he says to you this morning. Don't be troubled by whatever is troubling you. Don't be afraid of whatever you're fearful of. And verse three is also a part of God's providing for my every need. Look at verse three. He restores my soul. He restores my life. Philip Keller explains what this means by uh, talking about what's known very much to the shepherds uh, as a cast down sheep. And he explains what happens. A heavy, fat, or long fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground. It may roll on its side slightly to stretch out or relax. Suddenly, the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that the feet no longer touch the ground. It may feel a sense of panic and start to paw frantically. Frequently, that only makes things worse and the sheep rolls over even further. And now it's quite impossible for them to regain their feet. And he explains this, in this position, gases build up in the body, cutting off circulation to the legs. And often it's only a matter of a few hours before the sheep dies. The only one who can restore the sheep to health is the shepherd. And sometimes we are like these cast sheep. And we're spiritually on our backs and on our own we are quite helpless. 
and we'd be in serious trouble were it not for the good shepherd stepping in. And how many times has he done that for you? I know he's done it countless times for me. But Jesus comes to us when we're in this condition, just like he did to Peter, after Peter denied Jesus. And what does he do? He restored Peter. He restores us. Do you feel like somehow you failed the Lord? Do you feel like somehow there's just not enough grace for you? Let me assure you, there is always grace for you. God's grace is greater than all your sin. No matter your situation, no matter what you've done, God's grace is greater. And like that, he gets us up on our feet. And he gets us going again. And then the rest of verse 3, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What a promise. And this is on your outline. The promise is that I will never lack God's guidance. Never. You know, you may have heard before that, that sheep are stupid animals. It's not necessarily a real positive thing that he calls us sheep, but I think we are. Um, but I, I actually looked it up, and there, this is good news for sheep. Uh, there are many others that are actually stupider animals. <laughs> Number one, and I was surprised by this. I'd never heard this. The panda the turkey, the ostrich, the sloth, and the koala, and about a dozen other animals are dumber than sheep. So I, I thought, well, how are they judging this? And the, the, uh, there was an article that said their actions and behavior are so illogical, it appears just unbelievably foolish. That's kind of us sometimes, isn't it? Which is, I think, why we're called sheep. At least we're not pandas. In fact, the only time in the Bible that sheep are ever seen in a favorable light is when they're in the care of a shepherd. Otherwise, it's, it's not that good. Uh, they'll stray from the flock. And I think it's pretty obvious, you know, we, we, we need each other. Um, over 50 one another commands in the scriptures. Love one another, pray for one another, comfort one another, encourage one another, and on, over 50 of those. Which means we cannot do the Christian life by ourselves. Which is why we find ourselves here. We need each other. The bottom line is this. No other class of livestock requires more careful handling than, than sheep. That's why they have the constant care of a shepherd. That's why we need the constant care of a shepherd. That will move them from field to field and, and keep them near an abundant supply of water. It's the only way for them to stay alive. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Martin Luther translated the Bible into German, and when he translated paths of righteousness, it was the idea of a righteous way. He leads me in a righteous way. In other words, we stray from God by sinning. But, but God, through his word, leads us back into the way that we should go. And of course, that begins with Jesus, who is the way. 
And it's no surprise that the Bible refers to, to us as sheep over 200 times uh, because of the bent we have to do dumb things like sheep. Uh, first thing that comes to my mind, Isaiah 53, 6. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all of our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. We've all gone our own way. That's what sheep do. You know, this account, um, it comes from 2005 out of the country of Turkey, eastern Turkey, where three shepherds had gathered uh, to socialize and went off to have breakfast on their own while their sheep, around 1,500 of them, Uh, they thought were grazing and were just fine. Uh, But apparently one of them um, thought that they would leap over a a cliff. And all of the rest of them followed. And the first 400 that went over died. Uh, The next 1,100 fell on top of the others and the fall from, and their fall uh, saved them and they survived. But the loss was of about $75,000 to those three shepherds. And this really happened and that's how much money these shepherds lost. But maybe we, um, we imitate our friends because we think we're, we're being cool. We follow them just stupidly. Uh, to uh, what amounts to a, a spiritual dead end. And don't forget that as sheep, we have a personal shepherd, a personal guide. You know, one of the most common questions I get asked as a pastor is, how do I know the will of God? How do I know what God wants me to do? Well, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says he'll lead us, but the Holy Spirit uses the word of God. The Holy Spirit uses our ability to communicate with God that the Bible calls prayer. God communicates to us through his word. We communicate to God through prayer. And so, uh, you know, think about what it would be like to travel to a big city like New York City. Would it be easier if somebody gave you a bunch of addresses that you had to look up on your own and had a car, I can't imagine having a car in New York City anyway, but, or, or a friend that really knows the city like the back of their hand that could show you all around to all the places that you need to see. Well, Jesus says in John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. But the spirit of God has given us the word of God. We can't ignore the word of God if we want the spirit of God to guide us, and we do. I know we do because that's such a, an, a common question. How do I know the will of God? You got it in your, in your Bible. You've got it as you talk to God through prayer. And that leads us to the third part of this psalm in, in verses four and five, and that is that we need to trust the Lord for his protection. This is because of verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, we use this verse properly uh, when someone is in their dying moments because God is absolutely our comfort, even in the most difficult times. And this verse is telling us that that our shepherd has the, the ability to protect us in times of danger. 
So Keller, again, in his book, says this. Uh, he points out that a picture of a seasonal travel where the sheep make their way from the lowlands where they spend the winter to the valleys of the high pastures where they go in the summer. And the shepherd has to be aware all the time, Keller says, of the danger of wild animals and the sudden storms and, and floods that can sweep away into an area uh, uh, causing great danger to his, his sheep. Uh, than you, we could imagine. And the sun that would shine so brightly into those valleys um, would not shine because of the mountains, because of the shade that would come. And it would almost be like those shadows become like the shadows of death, he describes, because we don't know what they hold. But the darkest valleys are the way to the greenest pastures. And if you're going through a time when you feel like you are in a dark valley right now, remember that God has greener pastures for you and that he is with you during those times. You know, it's like the guy who was walking along on the sand and he, he, it was like a, an analogy of his, of his life and he sees one set of footsteps and he said, Lord, why did you leave me during those times? And he said, I didn't leave you. I was carrying you. I was holding you during those times. That's what the shepherd does. He carries us through those difficult times of like the shadow of death for us. You think about it. Can a shadow hurt you? No. You know, Donald Gray Barnhouse, uh, a pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, did something I could never do. He did a funeral. Uh, he led the funeral for his wife who had passed away. Left him with small children. On the way to the funeral, he was trying to describe what had happened to his mom. These were little kids. And uh, they were, it was a really bright day. The sun was shining in the car. And they were stopped at a stoplight. And a big truck came up and, uh, and, and shaded them. And Donald Gray Barnhouse said to his kids, so kids, let me ask you this. Would you rather be hit by a truck or would you rather be hit by the shadow of a truck? And the kids started laughing and said, Dad, that's really, that's not a, we know the answer to that. We'd rather be hit by the shadow. And he said, well, that's what's happened to your mom. She was hit by a shadow. That's what death is for a believer. Yes, it's hard. Yes, we grieve. It's a difficult time, but it's a shadow. Because our life is a, a life that we look forward to in the presence of God for all eternity. The valley of the shadow of death cannot destroy you. The substance of death or the, the sting of death, as Paul calls it, has been removed. And it's only the shadows that touch us. And I've been with so many of you during those times, during the time when you've lost a loved one and, and the sting isn't there. You know you will be reunited with them at some point. In heaven, it, because they love the Lord, because you love Jesus, you guys will be united. But there, so there's no sting. That's why David says, I will fear no evil. You know, the Christian life isn't always a, a peaceful way. It's not always a mountaintop experience either. God gives us valleys. And that's the place where a Christ-like character is forged. Are you going through a valley? Are you going through a hard time, a time of trial? Trust me, God is making you more like his son. He wants you to be like Jesus. And yes, there can be fear everywhere. What do we do with the fear? The only one, the only one that can protect the sheep 
and calm our anxieties and calm our fears and give us a supernatural peace like Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, is the shepherd. You know, it's really interesting to me. There's a change here. And look at verses two and three. It's he makes me lie down. He leads me. Verse three, he restores and he leads. And then there's a change in verse four. Even though I walk, I won't fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, you prepare, you anoint in verse five. So what's the point here? The point is that when the, the time when God wants us to be most aware of his presence is when we're in the darkness, when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death. God is near, he says, to the brokenhearted. And verse five gives us this promise. I will never lack God's provision. That's on your outline. I will never lack God's provision. Psalm 23 mentions the care of the physical needs of the flock. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. So in verse five, the psalmist seems to switch from looking at Yahweh as a shepherd to looking at him as a host, inviting you into his home. So, you know, hospitality in the Bible was more than just providing a meal. The host was responsible for the safety and the protection of the guest. And since the psalmist is a guest, since he says he's enjoying the Lord's protection, he can eat safely even in the presence of his enemies. It was the custom that a host would anoint their guests' heads with oil as they entered to eat. It was like the first century equivalent of them taking a bath after a hard journey. And they were basically all hard journeys. They were of any distance. And of course, they would always have plenty to eat if they were welcoming someone into their home. And more than anything, this emphasized the Lord's generosity to us. He provides for all of our needs. And in biblical imagery, oil and wine also speak of joy and prosperity. And oil and wine were highly valued in this barren land. Uh, you know, in, in Palestine, it's a lot like the weather here. And it can get pretty hot all year long. And we have skin moisturizers and all kinds of things that'll take good care of us. But in the first century, it was pretty normal to have cracked skin and parched throats. And so oil would do uh, uh, for the skin, just like, like it says in Psalm 104, David thanks God for wine that gladdens the heart of man and oil that makes his face shine. So that's how they would use oil. They would anoint with oil and we allow God to lead us. He prepares the way for us. It's like he's prepared a table for us. And he's anointed us with oil. And our cups overflow with the wine of true joy, the joy of the Lord. God wants it to be our strength. And then finally in verse six, we can be assured of his promise of eternal life. And this psalm portrays life as a journey and the goal is finally reached. Verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Our goal, our goal in life is to be at home with our heavenly father. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our home is the place the Lord Jesus is. Our good shepherd who's gone before us to prepare a place for us. Heaven is a place, but it's also mainly a person, Jesus. 
And Jesus said this to his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know, I, I, I heard someone read Psalm 23 and they left out God's name all the way through the psalm. And it's all about me. It's all about us. You know, there was a, a young girl one time who misquoted Psalm 23, but I think what she said was perfect. She said, the Lord is my shepherd. I've got all I want. I love that. I've got all I want because he's my shepherd. God wants us to pay attention to him. It's not about us. It's all about him. And the secret of satisfaction is in Jehovah himself. The Lord is my shepherd. He's all I need. I've got all I want. Basically, everybody knows this psalm. The question is, do you know the shepherd? The Lord is looking for lost sheep. Are you one of them? Do you know his direction in your life? Do you know his protection in your life? Do you know that he provides all of your needs? Are you practicing obedience? Jesus said, that's how you show me you love me. And finally, can you say, the Lord is my personal shepherd. I shall not want. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we acknowledge you as the only good shepherd. You are the great shepherd of the sheep. You're our shepherd. You're my shepherd. Even though it may seem dark, even though it may seem very dark, and we can't see where we're going, or it's painful, it's so painful we can't see it. Thank you, Lord, that you're bringing us to a place of understanding, and a place of growth. We trust in your goodness, and that that is the motivation behind all that you allow into our lives. Help us to use the tools that you've given us, namely your word and, and prayer and the fellowship of believers, so that we can resist the devil, so that he'll flee from us, so that we can say, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And when we're passing through the valley, we will wake up in the light and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Jesus' name we pray. And this is from a passage that I referred to in the sermon from Hebrews 13. Now may the, the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen.